want to talk about the face of God. I want to go back to the passage that, we've been, that I've been sitting with in terms of um, the series. And I spent a lot of time looking at the words of Jesus out of John 14. And remember, these words were uttered, you know, it's good to remember the context. They were uttered in, in this, these like last hours of Jesus' earthly life. He's talking to his disciples. The, his followers have been pretty much whittled down to a group of about 11 men. There's a few others, but in that room represented the core of three years of training. And it looked really bad, like everything was falling apart. Imagine, imagine ourselves investing into something and to be so disappointed by so many people after we had poured out so much of our life. That's what was happening to Jesus in this moment. But he saw it was part of a bigger story, bigger picture. When John 14 opens up, Jesus knows where tomorrow is heading. He knows he's going to end up on the cross. It's part of the plan. He understands that at the same time at a human level. It's really hard to walk through some of the pain and the relational trauma that he's had to endure. And you can see, though, that even in this moment when he's about to bear so much weight spiritually, we can't even appreciate the level of what Jesus was about to deal with. At a physical level, it was just awful. And from a standpoint of his dignity, he was going to be stripped of all of it. So it, it was not, where he was heading was not good. But in this moment, what's so remarkable is he, he pauses out of his own sense of, of just pressure. We talked about this. What a remarkable example it is for all of us at any level of leadership. He pulls out of what clearly, if there was ever a time to justifiably pay attention to himself, it was now. But he, he turns and he starts giving attention to his disciples, who he can tell are very shaken by what they've been hearing. There's been a number of things that have been said. Go back to John 13. He starts talking about how one of their, their own is going to betray him. Judas leaves mysteriously out of the room. Jesus then starts talking about how his enemies are going to take him, how he's going to be crucified. He starts talking about how he's going away to a place where they can't go. They're not going to see him anymore. The relationship, as we've known it, is about to end. Then Peter says, well, why can't I go? And he has that whole interaction with Jesus, which ends up with Jesus saying, Peter, you're not going with me. In fact, you're going to deny me. Not once, not twice, three times, before the day begins tomorrow. And we've talked about this, you know, again, extensively. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to completely break with me. And he said that in front of everybody. And it was a crushing thing to say. So all these things are happening. And the disciples are really shaken by them. That sets the, the table, the context for what we read in John 14. I want to move through it fairly rapidly because there's a couple things we'd like to get to. He said this, don't let Jesus says, in light of what was happening there and the fear that he saw in their eyes, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You need to... Trust in God, and you need to trust in me. And again, then Jesus, look what happens. He shifts it away. He, first, he calms them. And he says, don't let fear run rampant right now over you. And then he shifts their perspective. And for us, it's really actually pretty good because he starts talking about what is ahead. And he says that there is more than enough room in my father's home. He's talking about his father's house. And if this were where he was going, and if this, if this were not so, I would have told you but I am actually leaving this world. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come to get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, in that moment, that's when, and what we're going to see it follows next, is that in the, in the middle of this conversation where Jesus is talking about things that are coming, 
he gets interrupted twice. And he's talking about really intense things, and all of a sudden he gets interrupted. And I personally cannot help but f see the humor in it. I know it's sacred. I know it's intense. I know. But when I watch the disciples in action in this critical moment, I can't help but feel like I can totally relate to them. And I think a lot of us can if we can pause and just kind of look at how Thomas is hearing what Jesus just said. Because we know that Thomas is the first one to speak up. He actually, you could almost say he interrupts Jesus. Jesus says, you, and you know where I'm going. And when he makes that statement, it's like Thomas raises his hand and says, Lord, actually, I have no idea where you're going. And how in the world am I we supposed to know the way? I don't know what you're talking about right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean you're going and you know the way? I, we don't know the way. And that's what, that question by what, you know, some, some people call Thomas the doubter. And he had his moments where he earned the designation. But he was also at times Thomas the Magnificent because he wouldn't confess things that he did not apprehend. And he really didn't understand. And so he wasn't going to pretend that he didn't understand. And I love him for it. He asked the question that honestly sets the table for one of the most remarkable things that Jesus ever said about himself. And it's important to remember that we would have never had this declarative statement by Jesus about who he saw himself as and who he was if it wasn't for Thomas being willing to, to speak up and say, Lord, I don't know what you're talking about and I don't know where you're going and how can we know the way when I don't even know where you're going? And out of that came Jesus' response. It doesn't seem like he's mad at Thomas. He just puts it right back out there and he says this, look at it. He says, Jesus told him, Thomas, I am the way. You wanna know the way? I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father God except through me. And if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. You would know God. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, in that moment, Philip, the other disciple, who of all the disciples is probably the most like Thomas, it seems like the group of the disciples, there was like there was a group of the, them that were fishermen, and they kind of had a more roughly hewn kind of approach to life. Um, Peter, of course, was one of them. John ends up becoming very close to Jesus, and he has an extraordinarily sensitive, poetic heart, but he was a fisherman by trade, which is important. Remember, we, don't put people, we can't really put people in boxes all the time. Matthew was a task collector. Philip and Thomas, though, are very similar in their demeanor. Let's just put it way. They're at least not dissimilar. They have, they have commonality in terms of just their tendency not to just go along with something. They, in Philip's case, he's always, every time we, he's a big, he's big on seeing things. All right? If you go all the, like, when he hears Jesus say, and you have seen him, Philip, Philip is, he says, Lord, actually, if you would show us the Father, that would solve a lot of our questions right now, right? And I love this. It's almost like Jesus saying, yeah, you know the Father. You've seen him. And he says, actually, it would be so cool if we could actually see the Father in this moment. In fact, I think I can speak for everybody here. We would all be really satisfied. It would calm all of us if we could see, yeah, show us God. That would be incredible. And that says, the t and again, I go all the way back to the beginning. It's uh, just as a little side trip here, a little side journey. Um, go back to the beginning when Jesus first records Philip as following him. One of the first things that we're told about in the first chapter of John, 
and I put this in the parallel pa uh, passage, um, the third column there in the handout. In John 1, there's this moment that's recorded when Philip first starts to believe in Jesus, and he got, does what, what any good friend would do who loves the Lord. He starts to tell his friend about Jesus. And Philip goes and finds another seeker, a man who's been seeking after God and clearly is a little bit frustrated in what he's been finding. And Philip says to his friend Nathaniel, I want you to come and meet the Messiah. Now watch this interaction. Look what it says in John 1, 43. He says it's the next day. I'm going back three years earlier, right? So in John 14, Philip says, yeah, show us. I want to see him. You're talking about seeing. But look at, at the very beginning, three years earlier. Look at how Philip processes things. This is what I'm trying to get us to look at. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, come and follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathaniel, his friend, and he told him, he says, look, we found the very person Moses and the prophets have been writing about. We found Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's the son. Actually, I know this is going to sound incredible to you, Nathaniel. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And of course, Nathaniel, who has his own kind of bluntness about him, knows the reputation of Nazareth as a a small and extraordinarily corrupt town in which nothing good comes from. The reputation was so bad that he, even he was aware of it. And he said, Nazareth, exclaims Nathaniel, can any good come from Nazareth? Are you serious? Messiah from Nazareth. And look at Philip's reply. Come, and here's that word again, come and see for yourself. You got to meet him. You come and meet him. You come and see with your own eyes. You come and meet him. You come with me, and you'll see for yourself. He's exactly who he said he was. So here's the deal. Early on, Philip was big on seeing. You can see it right here. He's a person who loves to talk about how he can see something. So when, he, when Jesus says in verse 7 here, right there, when he says, if you really know me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. When he says, see, when you've seen him, he's talking Philip's language. That's like, that's what I love. Let me see him. That's exactly it. Lord, all this stuff that you're saying doesn't make sense. But if you could show us the Father, oh, everything else, we're not going to worry about it. And so I love this moment. I love what's happening here. And now here's the deal. Um, I can't tell if Jesus is sad, frustrated, or a little bit of both. But watch the response of Jesus. Jesus replied. Now, you, you try, to, try to feel what you think, how you think Jesus said this. But in verse 9, it says, Jesus said to Philip, and it's an interesting way it's phrased because Jesus doesn't do this all the time, but he specifically mentions his name. It's like he pulls off what Philip says in the middle of this just amazing statements that Jesus is making about who he is in relationship to the Father, in relationship to God. It's like Philip is saying, show us God. And that would be great, incredible, perfect. Jesus says this, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know me? You don't know who I am? Listen, anyone who has seen me, now look what Jesus is saying. Philip says, show us basically, show us Father God. Show us God. And Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
The words that I speak, listen, they are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So just believe, believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or, or at least believe because of the work, there it is again, that you have seen and witnessed with your own eyes that I have done. And it's, it's almost like he's saying, if you want to see God, Philip, you say, show me the Father. Have, have I been with you? Do you understand all this time? That to see my face is, is to see the Father. To, to know me is to know the Father. So come on, why are you asking me? Why are you asking me to, to show him to you? And I'll say this again. The, the declaration, I mean, I, I, what I hear here from Jesus is, I think I, part of what I hear is he's, he's sad. And part of the reason I think he's sad is because, I mean, he's disappointed it's like Philip is saying, yeah, perform, perform, do the miracle, do the, do the trick. Show me the Father. Show us God. Yes, that's what we've wanted all along. And I feel like it, maybe in this moment, Jesus never felt more alone than he did right now. I mean, he was going to walk very alone. But maybe in this moment, he realizes, I mean, okay, I know he does. But... These are the people he's invested into, and he's having to say to him, why are you asking a question like this now? Philip, how long have you been with me? How long have you heard me talk about this? Philip, if, you don't, if you're not getting that part, what have you seen with your own eyes? How can you say in a moment like this, show us the Father when I've been with you all this time? Don't you understand that to see me is to see the Father? And now that was the statement that Jesus was making. Have you looked at my words, my works, my life? What have you seen? Powerful. They reveal me as I am. But you must believe. Now, let's take that and flip it. I want us to think about a couple of things before we make our way back into our week. I want to, think of, I want to look at this from a, a different angle. I'm going to put something on the board here. I'm going to suggest this. It is possible to be near to Jesus, to actually believe in Jesus, and to miss something of who he is and wants to be to us. Now, this is... Actually, this is a bigger deal than it initially seems because, again, I look at this and I say, okay, let's just look at it through the lens of Philip. Philip had walked with Jesus for three years. And not only that, he had witnessed things holy, miraculous, and profound. Think about that for a moment. He, and, and, you know, he had believed him from the outset to be Messiah. He had confessed him as much. He had said, he had said Nathaniel, you've got to meet the one. He's come. He's the one. I'm telling you. You've got to meet Messiah. Now, it was one thing for Philip to be enthused about Jesus, but then he went on to completely alter his, to radically alter his life behind that belief. So he, he changed his entire life course. He left everything behind and he followed Jesus for three years. So we're not talking about somebody who didn't believe, who he obviously had some level of, of you know, commitment to Jesus. But what Jesus says to him as he assesses this moment and this interaction, he basically says this, how long, Philip, have we been together and yet you really still don't understand who I am. You don't understand who I am in relationship with God the Father. And I thought, you know, 
it's possible to grow up around Jesus, and some of us have. What I mean by that is we grew up in environments where people talked about Jesus. Some of us were blessed to have a, an opportunity. We went to children, Sunday school, and we were taught the stories of Jesus, or we were exposed to people who loved him. And I can't tell you how many times I meet people now, you know, doing this for 30 years here. And I rem- I've met people over the years who've come back later in their life and said, you know, I was taught about Jesus. I had a belief in Jesus, but I really never knew what a relationship with him actually looked like. And I think, I think part of what we're talking about here is it is possible to grow up around him, believe in Jesus, confess Jesus, and not really have a flourishing understanding of who he is. And, and it's, it's not so much an issue of being saved. It's, it's, it's more an issue of settling for so much less than what that relationship was meant to be. It's, you know, and again, I think this can happen to a lot of people who grow up around it. But the, the lack, the depth of a personal relationship, and then when the environment changes, that faith has no true root. It's, it's, it's not built around a relational component. It's got a light. It's very light. It's been, it's been more set up by the environment than by what's taken place in the heart. And a lot of times there's a lot of brokenness. Now, one of the encouraging things I've seen, and this has happened on positive in this room, there are more than a few of us who have come back around. We had to go on a long detour, but we came back home. And we came back home very differently than when we left. In some ways, we experienced things we shouldn't have had to experience by our own willfulness, even sin and pride. But then other times, in other way, we've come back more broken, more open, and more able to have the vibrant relationship that Jesus was talking about. Not perfect, but a growing, real, vital one. And that's what we're talking about here. Jesus is contending. He's basically saying, look, I want you to, do you not know me as I really am? Not about me. You gotta know, do you know, have you been with me so long? but you don't know me as I am. And, and it was showing up in this moment. Now, on top of that, I want, to put, I want to suggest that I think the Lord maybe was a little bit disappointed with Philip, perhaps, right? Have I been with you so long that you still don't know me as I am? But I want to, I want to say this, and this is the second piece here, how thankful I am, and we should all be, that there are times when the Lord will work with us, even in our immaturity. And what I mean by that is there are times when um, the Lord just meets us in our foolishness. You know, some of us have such conditional faith. Um, it's, it's, there are times where we are so quickly willing to disconnect from what we say we believe. But the reality is that there are times when we disappoint him. I, I, I know that there are times when, when I felt like the Lord was basically calling my name and saying, have we been together so long and still? Come on. Come on. And that's because I think, again, and I, 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 I think in those moments when we're less than what we should be or when we're so quick to turn on the Lord or just sort of like get caught up. To, how do it? Philip is dis... 
he is misdiagnosing this moment. This is a moment when he should have been sacredly sort of sitting with what Jesus was saying because Jesus was taking them into places way deep. And, and he's stuck on, yeah, that would be great. He's missing what's happening. And there are times in our lives I think we misdiagnose the moment as well. And I can hear in this the disappointment of Jesus, but I also hear in it, and I think you can too, the whisper of love. And I know that we've heard that voice. If you followed him for any amount of time, you know that voice. You've heard it. You've felt it. You know what it is when, you're, when you feel like the Lord is saying, I'm disappointed, but I still love you. And the Bible talks about the value of having a relationship with him that is not simply duty-driven or only cognitive. It has emotions attached to it. We are real with him. When we're talking about what does it mean, if someone said, what does it mean to have a relationship with him? What I'm talking about is your heart gets touched. What does that mean? What do we say? Open up your heart to Jesus. The center of who I am, Lord, touch me. Open my, I open my heart to you. I open my affection to you. I open my mind to you. Speak to me in your words, Lord. Speak to me in my life. Into me see. That's intimacy. Our culture defines intimacy very differently. Right now, it's a very one-dimensional definition, in my opinion. But intimacy with Jesus has to do with being vulnerable, open, willing to be shaped and molded and corrected. It has to do with a relationship that's vital and growing. It's like a tree planted by the rivers of water brings forth its fruit in its season. Sometimes it means we're going to contend for things that have to do with a growing sense of wholeness in our life. And some of us have areas that have been very damaged. We did it to ourselves. It wasn't just from other people. We did it. We've created avenues that undermine our wholeness. And God's trying to work us into places of maturity and growth. He's trying to grow us past some places where we are really, there's a disconnect occurring between what we say we believe and how we're living out our faith, how we're actually loving others perhaps, or how we're actually building and architecting our life in terms of our priorities. I'm saying, or even our own internal struggles. The Lord's trying to get in that and work with us. That's what I'm trying to get at. And here's the thing. I'll take it one more step further. I'm going to bring it back around. Is this, to experience Christ is to experience the future life in the present. If you really think about what Jesus is saying, he's saying this is a relationship that extends into eternity and brings us into the very life of God. It's like he was saying to Philip, to see me is to see the Father. To know me is to know the Father. Eternity, the future, where I'm going, is present with you even now. And when you know me, you know already what is yet to be. It is even now among you. The present life, You can know me in the present life. You can know the future life in the present life when you know me. That's a powerful statement. He's taking them. Now, look at it this way. Think of it this way. Think of eternity like a long string. And that string goes, just kind of based on what Jesus taught us, goes in both directions. Let's just say on this side, that is eternity past. So this string goes, it's an invisible string. It just keeps going and going and going. It has no beginning. This string, this side of it, keeps going and going and going, and it has no ending. So the future and the past, from where I am, from where we are, this both directions. Now that, we, we have a very hard time comprehending eternity. I, I can't. I have no connection to it. I can't. Everything we know 
has a beginning and an ending. But this pen in the middle of that, now imagine this pen in the middle of that string. Jesus says, this is your life. This is our life. Now, there are some people who say, this is all there is. Nothing more, nothing less. When it's done, it's over. Jesus says, actually, this is a marker on a string that goes on. And, and he says, everything that happens here has an effect there. In other words, there are things that we decide to do in this life that directly impact the future life. He said, one of those things is what you do with me. I like to think of it like this. We are all invited to write a story with our life. Our life is like a story being written. This is our life. And some of us have decided, and may we all make this decision, to write the name of Jesus in that story. That changes, Jesus said, how that story is going to go. But even more than that, when we begin to say, Lord, Okay, okay, I'll put it this way. I'll shift it around. Other people are going to read our story and are going to be affected by it. It's not just about the limited opportunity that this life offers and what also this life can bring in terms of how it secures our future in terms of what we do with Jesus. It's also about how we affect other people by what we've chosen to do. And here's the deal. If we say this is all there is, then... We only, then we live, the story we're writing basically is extremely limited because it doesn't really matter anyway, honestly. And so then whatever we're being, you know what Jesus says? Actually, this matters because when you realize where you're going, it affects how you are living in this present. And see, our tendency is to say, listen, this is going back to what we just started with. Our tendency to say, I believe what you had to say about eternity, Lord, and heaven and future and all that. But then we live like this is all there is. And Jesus says, don't live that way. Live this way. And he said, lay up for yourselves treasures not on this earth, where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal. Don't base success by how much we temporarily possess. Listen how much affirmation or temporary titles we get, how much praise we get, all that stuff. He says it's passing away. It won't last. He says, don't write your story that way. Don't base your identity that way. Believe in God. Believe in me. Write a different story. Now, you understand what I'm saying? When we decide to do that, when we invite him into this, because see, I'm, what I'm trying to say is don't disconnect from what Jesus taught us about what is to come is designed to impact us in the present. The future was meant to affect us in the present. So what it means is the choices we make, the way we go about constructing our lives, the things that we challenge our, ourselves around. Other people might go, what kind of you crazy, man? Why even bother with that? Well, the reason I'm bothering with that is because my life matters. It, Jesus taught me it matters. It makes a difference. Now, I get to decide, do I believe that or not? See, if I believe it, then all of a sudden, remember, he keeps talking about, believe in me, believe this, believe my words, believe what I'm saying. Why? Because if I believe it, it changes how I perceive everything, not just in the future, but in the present. I get challenged now 
It's not just about me. It's not just about like making my mark. It's not just about something that, you know, I, I can just kind of get temporarily and, and, and then I'm done with it. No, it, all of a sudden my life has impact. The, the people I'm affecting makes a difference. Am I going to represent your heart, Lord, in this place? How am I going to contend for growth in my life with you? How am I going to allow you to help me get better, to heal wounds in my life so that I can be a blesser, so I can pass down blessing? How can I be a light? How can I be a good friend that represents your heart in a way that it, it needs to be represented. How do I do? How do I live as one who understands that my future is affecting my present even now? How do I do that, Lord? Help me. Help me to contend for things. You see what I'm saying? It changes everything. And for the better. For the better. That you, oh, that's why, think about this. In the Older Testament, the Lord kept telling his people, remember, remember, remember. He would say things like, write, write these words on your, you know, doorposts. And, because there's a tendency on our part to forget things, to drift, to, to sort of like we drift in. We say we believe, but then we start living like, like it's not really, it's not, that's not it. it. We say, yes, it matters. What we do for Jesus matters. How we make our decisions matters to God. But then when it really gets down to it, how we make them is almost like disconnected from that reality. He wants us to remember. He wants us to build our lives in a way in which, in which we're basically allowing that to inform our decisions and also to keep us sometimes in our commitments. Ah, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bless all of us around this. Let me say, okay, Lord, I, I want to ask you to, as we, as we close this time, to really speak to us. I know we've looked at a concept, we've looked at your words, Lord, but again, our tendency is to drift. Our trend, tendency is to drift into disconnect. And you call us to align ourselves with a future promise because we're part of an ongoing story and you've invited us to write that story well. Now, we can't change the chapters that have been written. Some of that is good, some of it not as good, but we have a whole lot to do with what's happening right now. What are we writing right now? We need your grace to write it well. What, where are we going? And whatever, whatever frame you've given us in this life, what is yet to be written? May, may the things that are written for our life be things that honor you. And may we prioritize things not on the basis of what our culture says is important, as much as what we hear you teach us is important. Work in our lives. Challenge us. Grow us. Give us people who will challenge us to to pursue you. Help us to build quality friendships, good accountability, to, to, to seriously love your words and allow them to permeate the soil of our heart. I ask for this blessing until the day we see you face to face. May we know you as you are increasingly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.